All right, here we are. This is the first ever episode of the Doe Brain Book Club. This is what you people asked for. Unbelievable. <laughs> we set a goal of thirty dollars. Unbelievable a month, that and, this is even happening. Yeah, and people just couldn't wait to empty their wallets <laughs> to peer into his soul. Our stupid pockets. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been reading Willie Wilden, and I've learned that it is pronounced Wilden. Nice. <laughs> and uh, I think this is going to be more of an undertaking than I expected. I've read 54 pages of the book, and I've <laughs> taken uh, just about five pages of notes on Google Drive. <laughs> A good tenth. So you're going to end up writing 50 pages of notes? Yeah, uh, probably. Hmm. I I think things might lighten up as we go, but there's... You okay? <laughs> there's a lot to talk about in this first section. You you holding up there? Um, I think I'm all right. I'm gonna have to renew okay. this book at the library a couple times. <laughs> I think. First time, first time for everything. Yeah, I've had it for uh like two weeks already, and I've only gone through <laughs> the first fifty pages. Oh my god! Uh, for those of you who maybe don't recognize our voices, I'm Justin, and the other guy is Evan. Yes, I'm Evan. What up? So this is my second appearance, I think, on the Patreon. Uh, yeah, and also mine, sort of. I guess I have been editing myself into oh, the yeah. toxic feminine mystique. Speaking over women, <laughs> you can't help yourself. Correcting them, giving them little yep. well actually <laughs> notes. <laughs> Correcting them about the uh, CEO of Godfather's Pizza, <laughs> former that was, CEO. That was important. Mm-hmm. It is important. I mean, this we talk about politics. We need to have. Our facts straight, right? Because our audience knows or what exists of them, and they will yell at us. They'll say Herman Cain didn't run in 2016. Yeah, I mean, I know what I would say if I heard that. So I assume that's what everyone else will say, right? I say, of of course he didn't. <laughs> everyone knows. <laughs> everyone knows Herman Cain's electoral history. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, so before I uh, give you the rundown of pages 1 through 54 of Willie Wilden, I would like to uh, read for you an Amazon review of the book. It's a very short one. but I'm Wow, gonna... <laughs> it has an Amazon review? Uh, there are more than 10 of them. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I, I grabbed a few to use on these episodes. So this one comes from Lucy Coons. This was posted on October 10th of 2011. She gave the book five stars. The headline is An Entertaining Read. (laughs) And she says about this book, A fun read. It paints a nostalgic picture of college days with a rich set of characters. Some mysterious, some larger than life, and some down to earth. And plenty of intrigue for everyone. Enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds entirely like normal and not... A p- like paid or <laughs> right this somehow seems like influenced a <laughs> very a unforced person. definitely yeah for sure reads just like a normal review on amazon <laughs> uh also um i found i think i mentioned on the show that i found a bunch of dobry and youtube stuff and one of the things i found was an hour-long reading that joseph did at prairie lights bookstore in iowa city and i have a little like intro clip of him to sort of set the stage (laughs) give give a little insight into the author's mind while he was writing this book that's good it's horrifying to me 
that when I was a little boy, the villain of the story would often be the busybody, the person who can't bear to leave you alone, the Grinch, the control freak. And today, that sort of person is often portrayed in literature as the good guy, only <laughs> they're called reformers or progressives. I wrote this book partly to point out that sometimes the, the stodgy old fuddy-duddies, and you'll find a lot of them in this book, turn out to be more <laughs> broad-minded and perhaps sometimes kinder and more considerate than some of the supposedly forward-thinking characters. Uh, <laughs> definitely, makes you think. Yeah, definitely not talking about himself there. Dang busybodies. You know what? You know what the problem is? Women nag too much, am I right, fellas? Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll hear a little bit of that <laughs> in this first <laughs> section. All right, so let's jump right in. The first section of this book, and he doesn't have like chapter headings. This is all written in dates. So the first section took place on May 18th of 1999. And here's the summary. Roger visits his client. Oh, right. Uh, the main character is Roger Ballou. Roger Ballou. Yeah, I mentioned that on, on mm-hmm. one of the regular episodes, but just to give everyone context, Roger Ballou, he is 42 and, quote, but looks younger. He's a big and tall man. He wears a suit a lot. Uh, <laughs> his hair is slicked back Jack Nicholson style. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's a quote. Oh, boy. And, I mean, if you know anything about Joseph Dobrian from reading his newspaper articles or looking at his online presence. This is very clearly the author's self-insert. And Roger is at the beginning. But much, much cooler. (laughs) Well, of course. (laughs) Uh, And at the beginning of the book, uh, Roger is a freelance writer. So in this first section, Roger visits his client, Linda, at the American Association of Executive Management to get his monthly writing assignments. Linda tells him the company hired a new editorial director who's moving AAEM to exclusively web content, and they will no longer require his services. This means he will lose about half of his income. She offers to talk to her son-in-law, chair of the English department at Van Devander College in (laughs) Wildenkill in upstate New York. Uh, And Roger leaves the office, and he goes home to find a note that says his rent is going to be raised 25%, if he renews his lease and that information combined with the loss of income he just found out about means he will have to leave Manhattan. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. So lots, lots of anxiety about, you know, economic resources and like your economic situation. Sounds kind of familiar as a lot of stories and the way they start. It's kind of a common thing. Basically, basically Dickensian. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) This is a classic Roger ends the night at his regular bar near his home where he is stood up for a date and then gets kicked out for fighting with another patron about smoking. (laughs) (laughs) Damn, dude, this book really is going to end with him being the Joker, isn't it? (laughs) I, I, there are some quotes here that will (laughs) shed some light on that. Oh boy. Uh, But first I want to, uh, there's a physical description of Roger that I want to read now. This is from page two of the book. Baloo's face was large, pale, and smooth. His nose was aquiline, but slightly askew. His mouth narrow and lipless. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, His eyes were tiny and Asiatic. (laughs) 
<laughs> Whoa. Almost, almost piggy. And they gave Baloo a menacing piggy. piggy yes, P-I-G-G-Y. <laughs> so one of our Patreon subscribers? <laughs> and they gave Baloo a menacing, violent aspect, even when he didn't want them to. He would often try to make eye contact with people as he passed them in the street just to see how they'd react. (laughs) (laughs) Women particularly. Oh, boy. (laughs) He usually tempered his threatening affect with an ironic little dimpling, not quite a smile, and a tiny twinkling of the eye, as though reminding the other person of a naughty secret. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. I'm not sure if this is like very self-aware or lacking self-awareness entirely. (laughs) Yeah, it's a weird line. Like he knows how people perceive him and is sort of trying to own it by writing a book about it. It's weird, (laughs) yeah. Um, I put in bold uh, that sentence that said women particularly. And Mm -hmm. I believe I mentioned on Rock Hard Caucus that I will be keeping a horny count while I read this book, and we'll put that tally at one for the women particularly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Other character, there's only really one other character that they go into any detail on in this chapter, Linda Biershaum, who is his client that I mentioned. Uh, She's a woman of nearly 70, the editor-in-chief of periodicals at whatever I said that (laughs) place is called. Yeah, some Uh, letters, whatever. Uh, quoted description here peppery elfin old lady with a braying voice who wore too much jewelry and a spicy perfume that revolted Baloo (laughs) (laughs) so she's she's described uh, not very charitably but so far is the only character that seems to show any sort of genuine care for Roger (laughs) she's trying to set him up with another job when he's getting laid off from her place. Yeah, it's hard to hard to make a living as a writer. A nice sympathetic old woman, but uh she revolts him. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, bad perfume. I mean, that's that's a big one. Can be uh hard to overcome. Yeah, definitely. So, here are a few more quotes. I seriously, the, these five pages of notes I took uh <laughs> mostly just excerpts that i had to get into the show okay so from page four roger is speaking about himself any ideas i ever had of being a poet or a novelist evaporated years ago i don't have the talent writers who can write write creatively those who can't write commercially Again, if you've done any sort of research on Joseph Dobrian, uh, he has spent most of his career as a commercial writer, which I, I have nothing against that. you got to make a living however you can. But mm-hmm. he's definitely writing about himself here and sort of uh, self-deprecating. Yeah, that's that's interesting. But yeah, you are... I'm, I mean, how... Like, you haven't really said anything, like, about... Like, it, it is... It does read okay. Like, you can actually... Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... I haven't noticed any typos at all, and it's not a hard-to-follow narrative at all. It's pretty well-written. Mm-hmm. I'm mostly con- commenting on the content within. <laughs> yeah, okay. I just yeah, I just wanted to make sure. I mean, I guess if he was a commercial writer, then I'm sure he's capable of it. Yeah, it's so far a, a well-written book. Um, my criticism is mostly for what he's writing about, which gets worse and mm. worse as we go. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
<laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. And just a reminder, Willie Wilden is Joseph's first novel ever and uh came out in 2011. I haven't looked at Joseph's birth date or anything, but I believe he was at least in his 40s, possibly older when this book came out. So he's absolutely writing about himself here. Like he wanted to be a creative writer, sort of found a career as a commercial writer Mm -hmm. and is now going back and living out his dreams somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, publishing some big-ass books. Yes. That are just (laughs) (laughs) navel-gazing. Yeah. Uh, And now a quote from the very next page. This is from page five. Ordinarily, the only way a young woman will go for an older guy is if he's in a position of power. I'm supposed to have a date tonight with a woman who says she's 25, a blind date. Met her through a personal ad on the web. If she shows up tonight, I'll be staggered. See, it hasn't even happened, and already I'm feeling homicidal. Homicidal? Yeah, he jumped to that pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we we know where his headspace is at. And I, I have placed the horny count at two, mostly for that first part. The only way a young woman will go for an older guy is if he's in a position of power. <laughs> right. And so are you counting? It seems like every time the horny counter goes up, the like hate women count also goes up at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are closely aligned. <laughs> There's a correlation. <laughs> um, and from the next page, page six. A woman only ever has one criterion when she's choosing a boyfriend. Would I breed from this guy? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, that's amazing. Horny count, three. (laughs) And let's turn the page. Page seven. He thought about doing a little housework, but told himself that even if this blind date went well, it would certainly not end at his apartment, so why bother? Horny count, four. (laughs) Next page, (laughs) page eight. I have a quote from almost every page. (laughs) This is when he uh, has retired to the bar for the evening. The bartender was a handsome, muscular young man in a black t-shirt. Horny count, five. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, you're you're really generous, I mean. But yeah, I mean, muscular. A handsome, muscular young man. I got (laughs) it. I got to assume a little bit there. <laughs> okay, and now here uh, is a real treat. I played a clip from that reading earlier, and as luck would have it, most of Joseph's reading in that video is from this first section of the book. So some of these quotes that I pulled out, I actually have the man himself reading. And this next one is a doozy. This is from page nine, and I'm going to just play it without any context. And it's kind of, it's, it's going to throw you, I think. Oh, boy. <laughs> Here we go. A black demon appeared, hovering in the air above Baloo's head. Obama. That's what Baloo called them in his mind. He'd never told anyone else about them. The black demons were imaginary creatures that had plagued him since he was a toddler, although he'd not named them the black demons until well into adulthood. When he'd been very small, they'd just been them. Them amounted to eight or nine demons in all. Naked, bony, hairless creatures, each about half Baloo's own size, with ink-black skin, hominoid bodies, gargoyle faces, gaping mouths, and enormous pterodactylous wings. 
black demons. <laughs> uh, yeah, wow. this, this kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, this main character, Roger, has sort of visual manifestations of his self-hatred that show up and tease him and mock him for his shortcomings. And in a book that's so far just sort of a veiled autobiography, I have to wonder if this is like... Oh, man. Something... I hope this book has a happy ending. Oh, man. I I really do. (laughs) I think... (laughs) (laughs) Because otherwise I'm going to be worried about like my own welfare. Yeah, I think for what it is, I am anticipating a sort of happy ending for the character, but we'll keep going and sort of <laughs> I'll give That's you. good. Yeah. Gosh, this is a real downer so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just uh, like relentless. Sound like it's like a lot of pages for like nothing to happen other than just like <laughs> Yeah, the first chapter is just a bunch of bad shit happening to him and then he <laughs> envisions <laughs> yeah, literal he internalizes demons. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so as I was saying, he was stood up at the bar by a blind date that he set up through the web, as he the called web. it. The web. This was 1999, so he was already online dating. Which oh, was, wow. You know, pretty forward thinking. And when he is stood up, he is frustrated, and he writes out this little letter on a bar napkin. Dear Hosebag, you have behaved properly on the principle that if a man is deemed insufficiently interesting, the rules of polite society may be waived when dealing with him. Let me apologize for forcing you to stand me up. Not that you thought twice about it, nor should you have. I love that little sigh at the end. A little sigh. Uh, I, and again, I mean, I have to assume this is pulled from the author's experience. Just the, right. the absolute... <laughs> Disdain I mean, for I feel like bags. in 1999, he should have been able to find like a lady computer programmer type on like some BBS <laughs> server. Yeah, or you know, there's there was like news groups back then. You don't have to like go on the personal ads because you're probably going to get stood up a bunch. But you got to establish a rapport first. You talk about Ayn Rand or whatever. <laughs> yeah, your interests, your mutual interests. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so after he's, uh, you know, figured out he's been stood up, he lights up a smoke. Um, I didn't mention this before, but he hand rolls his cigarettes, which is an interesting detail. Nice. Yeah. And uh, here's a little bit about his smoking. He seldom smoked except when he was having a drink. So that first smoke of the day with his evening cocktail was like falling into bed with a beautiful concubine who desired him as much as he desired her. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Horny count, six. Concubine? That's loaded. (laughs) I mean, you could have gone with another word and still made that sentence pretty creepy, but concubine, (laughs) that ratchets it up a notch in my book. Oh, yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, so the horny count is up to six. You had to buy those cigarettes. It's it's really not a a (laughs) one-to-one relationship. (laughs) (laughs) And then the final two pages of this section I have dubbed the Smoking Libertarian Tantrum, and I have four audio clips to play from the Libertarian (laughs) Tantrum. First up. Smoking is still legal in bars for all that some people are trying to outlaw it. (laughs) Uh, Next. But you anti-smoking fanatics are all alike, aren't you? No sense of shame. 
What, you just pick out a different bar every night and go in there to hassle smokers? <laughs> so he's uh, he's been confronted by uh, a woman who I think was noted as around the same age as him, mm. who uh, doesn't want him smoking at the bar next to her. Busy bodies. Yep, that's right. Getting in his business. Yeah, because uh, smoking a cigarette in a bar is uh, just a, a, a solitary experience that doesn't... It's an inalienable right, dude. <laughs> it's an inalienable right for her to inhale secondhand smoke. In inalienable. I didn't realize I had such a hard time saying that word. It's yeah. Inalienable. Shows how much <laughs> I think about the Constitution. Okay, so uh, the the woman asks him to put out a cigarette. The handsome bartender asks him to do the same, just to avoid any further troubles at his bar. Handsome. Yeah, the muscular, handsome young bartender from earlier. Oh, uh, okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this makes Roger Ballou angry, and he says this to the bartender. You have got to be kidding, you little snot-nosed fuck! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is like falling down, but much lamer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and these clips, again, are from a live reading from the book at prairie lights and i found these on the patv youtube page so i'm wondering if that little clip there was broadcast live on public access in iowa city (laughs) joseph just saying you little snot-nosed fuck (laughs) i mean he's is there an audiobook version of this (laughs) i don't think so (laughs) because that would be lovely (laughs) i i mean he he puts some passion into it yeah definitely yeah in the reading like he he adopts all the different voices of the characters. It's it's a real it's a real performance. Man, I, maybe I underestimated Joe Dobrian. <laughs> I mean, I do think he has creative yeah, abilities. I mean, you know, he just is yeah. motivated by strange compulsions. <laughs> 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 and then one more clip from this section. This is what he says to the bartender as he is leaving. And you're in for a terrific evening as long as this this thing is sitting here. Yes, he calls the woman a thing. Oh my god. <laughs> Pretty nasty. Yeah, that's that I don't know, that feels like more offensive than a lot of like slurs. <laughs> like it's it'd be worse if he called her a bitch or it'd be better if he called her a bitch. Yeah, do we prefer a hose bag or a thing? <laughs> yeah, thing that's pretty that's pretty low. Yeah. All right, so that's the first uh, so-called chapter. Again, he doesn't really label them as, as such. And again, that was in May 18 of 1999. And then we skip ahead for the second section all the way to August 29th of 1999. Uh, this is a very short chapter. It's in the town of Wildenkill, which again, his manager from before was setting him up with a job, possibly with her son-in-law. And we're introduced to a few new characters here, uh, Donald and Francis Quagga. They are real estate brokers who are renting Roger a home in this little town in upstate New York. And they're also publishers of the weekly paper, the Wildenkill Advertiser. They have two daughters. Their daughters' names are Emmeline and Miffany. 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 I've never heard of a person named Miffany. <laughs> it's uh, unique. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a problem with it, but I definitely... it does make. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Is this more? He's just like miffed. 
And so he names characters Miffany. Yeah, I haven't heard anything from Emmeline or Miffany since this chapter of my reading. So I don't know if Miffany will come back later. Uh, we also learn that the name of uh, Linda's, Linda, right? The old lady? Yeah, yeah. Uh, her son-in-law is named Jack Hoganfuss. So <laughs> <laughs> he's the chair of the English department at Vandevander college uh we don't really learn anything about him but that's his name interesting and we also learn the name of a local author named charlotte fanshaw we'll learn more about her these names are great honestly (laughs) she's interesting so all that happens in this chapter though is that uh roger has moved to wildenkill he's uh, about to start teaching at this college and we are listening in on a conversation between Donald and Francis, the real estate brokers and newspaper publishers. They're talking about an upcoming bridge party and they sort of jokingly talk about inviting Roger to their bridge party, but (laughs) I'm talking about how creepy he is. (laughs) Oh boy. Yeah. I say that before every clip. (laughs) Uh, I don't have any audio clips of this one, so I'll just... Or, uh, yeah, excerpt, whatever. (laughs) We'll be relying on my own voice for this section. Uh Oh. (laughs) From page 15, this is from Francis. She says, well, I've seen him on the street a few times, and he looks like he might have Girl Scouts in his freezer. Nice. That was from the the, the, uh, jacket, right? Yeah, it's from the back of the book. This is... (laughs) This is what he chooses to put out there as a first impression of this <laughs> character who is his own self-insert. <laughs> Which, as Chuck theorized, is probably something somebody has said to Joseph in real life. And uh, also from page 15, this is from Donald, the husband. He says, I have it on Roger Ballou's authority that there is no sex in the city. He was complaining to me about it for much of the time we were looking for houses. His complete lack of a romantic life, I mean. Hmm. Uh, this comes after his daughter, Emmeline, says she's going to go watch Sex and the City. <laughs> <laughs> he just he just really wanted to riff on the name <laughs> when yeah, he right, saw it. Yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Sex and the City? What city <laughs> are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Not any city I'm living in. <laughs> So I've increased the horny count to seven from that one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, and then Emmeline, the daughter's boyfriend, he makes a reference to Ward Cleaver. So uh, <laughs> Donald says, Ward Cleaver, he's become an archetype, or a meme, rather. Nice. And what I'm interested in here is that uh, Walt Donald- Ward Cleaver is a meme. Yeah, Ward Cleaver. Ward, uh, I'm sorry. The dad from Leave it to Be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A show I don't think I've probably ever watched, but still I may have watched a couple episodes when I was a child. Yeah. What I'm interested in here, though, is that Donald Quagga says that Ward Cleaver has become a meme, and this book takes place in 1999. I don't know if... I mean, memes... Is that a concept that people were talking about in the late 90s? Um, Joseph Dobrian is very ahead of the curve. <laughs> he, he knew... He was a big... Uh, Wait, did the I mean Richard Dawkins was the one who created right. that term, right? Was that did that book even come out by 1999? Right. Is that from The God Delusion? No, no. Or it was what? earlier than Early? that. It was okay. like one of his books about biology. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean God Delusion was probably mid 2000s. 
So it's possible yeah. that people were discussing memes in the late 90s. Yeah, but the the book here came out in 2011. So memes were definitely something people were aware of in the general public. I'm just curious if this was something that Donald Quaggo would be realistically referencing in 1999. Well, yeah, not in that context, but it, it did originate in 1976. Oh, okay. Older than I thought. Right. Yeah, Dawkins. It was like Dawkins' early work when he was actually like a respected person and not just <laughs> right. some like dumbass lunatic. <laughs> right. I didn't realize that he had been writing all the way back then. Yeah, okay. I mean, he's very influential. I mean, he's like big in biology fields. Like there's, yeah, yeah. he's got a lot of shit. Yep. And then one last excerpt from this section. He swatted Mrs. Quagga on the butt backhand as she walked out of the room, and she yipped. Horny count eight. Wow. And first instance of, like, sexual assault. (laughs) Well, it was sort of a playful back and forth (laughs) between the husband and wife. I did put it out of context a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So moving forward, we are now... In uh, August 30th, 1999, the sections are a little closer together now. This is just the very next day. Uh, We're going to learn a little bit more about Charlotte Fanshawe in this section uh, because she has a new book coming out called Gains and Losses. He's very, very jealous of her, I bet. Uh, Yeah, kind of. We'll get into that. Um, But Donald (laughs) Donald Quagga asks Roger to write a review of Charlotte's new book for their paper. Uh, and after Roger is given this assignment, he happens to run into Charlotte on the street while he's taking groceries home, uh, but doesn't realize who it is until after uh, they've walked away from each other. Uh, so once he gets home, Roger reads the book in about a day and finds that the novel is a thinly veiled autobiographical telling <laughs> <laughs> of Charlotte's relationship with an older man her subsequent marriage to a separate man who leads her all over the country and results in four children, then a divorce, and Charlotte settles back in her hometown of Wildenkill, or sorry, (laughs) Charlotte's self-insert character settles back (laughs) in her hometown, not Wildenkill, but some pseudonym, I'm sure. (laughs) So this is very meta. (laughs) Um, in, In Joseph Dobrian's very thinly veiled autobiographical book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Another author is writing a thinly veiled autobiographical book. Roger titles his review of uh, gains and losses payback time and accuses Charlotte of writing the book just to get back at a famous man to get some fame for herself. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So uh, yeah, we, we learn a little bit more about Charlotte here. So, uh, this is in the context of the book coming out and Donald and other, you know, Wildenkiller residents kind of know the story and explain a little bit of it. Honestly, to that book sounds boring as shit, but also like five times more interesting than this book. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So Charlotte Fanshawe, she had a romantic relationship with a famous reclusive poet who lives a few miles outside of Wildenkill. Uh The guy's name is Landor. <laughs> LL <laughs> He is so good with the names. <laughs> it's spelled L L A N D O R. Oh. The double L could that be Is that like a Scottish like Celtic Celtic thing? Yeah, I think so. Or like uh, Danish or some shit. Oh, it is a name apparently. It's uh Is it Landor or like Yandor? <laughs> uh 
It's English. Okay, okay. No one has recorded a pronunciation of it on this website. <laughs> All right, so it's not a common name. <laughs> no. And this guy seems to only go by this name. It's not like a first, last name. Uh, and uh, Charlotte's relationship with him was 25 years ago when she was 18 and he was more than 40 years older than her. So if we do the math there, that makes Landor currently at least 83 years old. And uh, because we're learning about this relationship uh, between an 18-year-old and a just about 60-year-old, I'm going to increase the horny count to nine. Wow. <laughs> a little description of Charlotte from page 22. She had strawberry blonde hair that hung well below her waist with bangs in front and freckles. She looked a little like Mia Farrow, but even skinnier. Her legs interesting. <laughs> her legs were long and shapely and she was showing a lot of them. As happens with most men when they encounter a strange woman, the would I or wouldn't I question appeared in Baloo's mind instantly. Horny count 10. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how does this happen to you when you <laughs> encounter a strange woman, Evan? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. <laughs> the would I or wouldn't I question appears in Baloo's mind instantly. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that does not happen for me. But I'm I I don't really understand other men that well. So <laughs> you're not like all those other men. <laughs> I'm not like all those other guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think he's projecting a little bit. I mean, it's it's not uncommon yeah. for men to have stray thoughts about women, but. I, I don't know if this is <laughs> an accurate portrayal. As happens no. with most men when they encounter a strange woman, the would I or wouldn't I question appeared in his mind instantly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we're all thinking that all the time. No, about every, about every person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> instantly. Yeah. Instantly. Maybe. Yeah, that's a little weird um, to yeah, me. <laughs> maybe exaggerating a bit there. <laughs> Yeah, there's just a lot of self-projection in this book. <laughs> I mean, it does like I don't I don't know like what he like what parts he's actually self-aware about or he's just like this is a thing that I think, you know, and just like writing it down. Mhm. I don't know if that's the same thing. I'm not sure. Yeah, I but, don't know. I mean, it's th- there's more of this later, so we, we can discuss it in the last <laughs> section when it okay. rears its ugly head several more times. Um, so here's a few notable excerpts from this chapter. From page 21, this is Donald to Roger. He says, it's nice to have a newcomer who knows how to dress. Important context here, every single time I've seen Joseph Dobrian, he's wearing a suit. So definitely talking about himself here. And usually a fedora, right? Um, I, I don't know that I've seen him wearing a hat. I've usually oh. seen him indoors, though, so maybe he's removed his hat. Oh, okay. I thought I remember hearing about him wearing, like, a felt hat of some sort. <laughs> yeah, that may have come up before. And it's just a detail I've forgotten. There's a lot to learn about this guy. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> from page 23, uh, from as long ago as he could remember, Roger Ballou had wanted fame, and it was a source of much self-directed bitterness that he'd never achieved it. Uh, again, uh, going hand in hand with that thing earlier about commercial writing, I think this is a bit of the author's self-directed bitterness as I well. I mean, 
it's absurd. He like wants to be famous, but he's like never given any regard to any other person in this book so far. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. He's basically so far. He's basically like hated every single character, or at least like silently detested. <laughs> yeah, he's very alienating, and I think this is this does seem self aware. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but like, shit. If you want to be famous, you gotta like network, man. Mm-hmm. You gotta be nice to people at some point. <laughs> <laughs> and shortly after that, when uh, he's sort of beating himself up over this, you're just envious because if you wrote a book like that, nobody in the world would give a shit. Least of all, a major publisher, one of the black, de- <laughs> <laughs> one of the black demons, commented. So this is again these little cartoon characters that appear around his head. <laughs> I mean. It sounds kind of like the the black demon was predicting the future. <laughs> Though, I guess, I don't know, is there like a book? I wonder if there's like a book that's like, he's basing her book off of. Like, I can't think of any, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not very well read. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but I do think the comparison to Mia Farrow was probably intentional there. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, from page 30, this is part of Roger's review of Gains and Losses which uh, I'll remind you was titled Payback Time. (laughs) He wrote here, the other major objective of the book apparently is to show the reader that romantic relationships between students and teachers, even when both are legally adults, are invariably destructive, injurious to the student, and morally wrong by definition. Yeah. Horny count 11. Uh, (laughs) This is presented by Roger and I have to assume by association the author himself as a criticism of that point of view. But I would say that any romantic relationship between a student and teacher, even when both are legally adults, are invariably destructive, injurious to the student, and morally wrong by definition. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's definitely injurious to your pursuits as like a student. For sure. At the very least. Even when both are legally adults, there is a power dynamic there Mm -hmm. that can't be ignored. And, you know, having been in that position myself, I was a TA when I was a grad student, and a lot of that involved uh, teaching. I I taught classes myself. A lot of that involves students hitting on you. (laughs) Uh, Not not any that I perceived, but um, (laughs) I did have to. So I went to grad school for music, and I was teaching a music theory class, and a lot of that involved oral skills, so ear training, sight singing, stuff like that. And a lot of that involves some one-on-one meetings with students. And I went into grad school very young, so when I was teaching undergrads, a lot of them I was only like a year or two older than. Mm -hmm. And like the training that I got to be a TA was very, very serious about this. Like you need to have a distance from your students like you need to have a professional relationship with them it should never even come close to (laughs) something like this and yeah I was very much like concerned or not concerned but like I was very careful to like have a sort of barrier between the students and myself especially considering the age difference was so small between us that yeah yeah I mean that's that doesn't seem like very hard to grasp that seems like common sense yeah and it's not hard to do either like you can there are other people in the world that you can interact with in that way like you shouldn't right you shouldn't be so like 
irresistibly. Kind of like you change your behavior in different scenarios and different settings. Yeah, when you're a teacher, you should not like be... a process that you do every day of your life to <laughs> some extent. Yeah, you should not be irresistibly attracted to students. <laughs> you know, it's not hard to not have a romantic relationship with students when you're a teacher. Uh, that's something that's come up right. recently <laughs> in our, <laughs> yeah, on social media as well. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so what I'm saying is uh, if you are uh, in charge of hiring at a college, I would avoid hiring Joseph Dobrian for the viewpoints he's expressing in this book. <laughs> <laughs> on the other hand, it's hard to imagine it happening with him. <laughs> yeah, true. I have another excerpt here from page 31. Uh, this is... Roger quoting Charlotte's book in his review. So it says, I spend much of that evening listening to Gossage telling Joan and Bob Danzinger that Ronald Reagan might be the country's best hope. I am horrified. We have never discussed politics before, and when I hear him praise a Republican, it's like I imagine what Bluebeard's wife must have felt when she opened the door to the secret room and discovered the unimaginable evil that was her husband's secret. (laughs) So what's what's happening here is kind of incredible. So this is Roger quoting Charlotte's book in his review. And if we zoom out a little bit, this is Joseph through his self-insert character, Roger, poking fun at a liberal's <laughs> over-the-top hysterical intolerance of conservative viewpoints. Uh, <laughs> in this case, this is Charlotte's hysterical liberal over-the-top intolerance. And she herself is expressing this distaste through her own <laughs> self-insert character. <laughs> so Basically, he wants to be Charlotte. This is like a, a straw man's straw man? Like, he, 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 Charlotte is the mirror image of him. And I don't know if he knows that or not. <laughs> yeah, the, the level at which uh, Joseph has, like, abstracted this in order to <laughs> poke fun at a liberal, like a weak little snowflake, yeah. is kind of incredible. Like it's, <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> it's his book, and it's a fictional book within his book, and it's his character quoting the book, the fictional <laughs> book in his book in the character's Which has review. Essentially, the same premise as her book. <laughs> there's too much. <laughs> there's too many levels here. This is. Uh, I want to insert the Inception brass music. <laughs> The second half of the book is going to be written from her perspective. (laughs) That would be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be maybe actually make a good book. (laughs) Yeah, we took a weird sort of narrative twist in this. Uh, One more clip from Roger's review. Quite aside from questioning the taste of gains and losses, I question its apparent message, that physical relationships between teacher and student are invariably predatory and exploitive exploitative, and should be forbidden with severe sanctions against any professor who indulges his swinish passions. (laughs) Uh, Horny count 12. Uh, So horny, he brought up the exact same thing with almost the exact same words within two pages. Man, no wonder nobody likes this guy. (laughs) All right, so moving ahead, we are now... In September 6th of 1999, this is after Roger's review comes out in the paper, and the review gets a lot of attention. Somebody using the name Parzival <laughs> writes... Wait, is Percival with, a, with an A? 
Uh, yeah, it's like an alternate spelling of Percival. P a r z i v a l. I have <sighs> I have seen it elsewhere, but most notably, I've seen it in the book and film Ready Player One. <laughs> oh, okay, interesting. I don't know if that's where Joseph got it, but it's possible. Haven't read that one. Don't really have any interest. <laughs> sucks ass. <laughs> yeah, so somebody using the name Parzival writes a rebuttal to the paper against Joseph's, or sorry, <laughs> against Roger's <laughs> Roger. review. Yeah. Um, and I would like to note that using the name Percival, this is like a literal white knight situation. <laughs> uh, the rebuttal came from a Vandevander edu email address so roger knows it's from someone who works at the college with him donald quega lets roger know that charlotte is doing a book signing at mountain lights books next weekend i'd like to put a little (laughs) magnifying glass over the name of that bookstore mountain lights books so as i mentioned the audio clips of joseph that i've been playing on this episode come from a live reading that took place at Prairie Lights Books in Iowa City. <laughs> and there's a bookstore in Willie Wilden called Mountain Lights Books. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, cat skills. <laughs> yeah, very... Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if there's a relation there. Uh, two short clips from this section. Sour, angry, creepy garbage. Reminiscent of bad stand-up comics who have to rely on insulting the audience because they have nothing of their own to say. This is from Parzival's letter to the editor. (laughs) (laughs) Is this another busybody? It seems so. With a name like Parzival? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then towards the end of his letter, Parzival says, Why don't you just do a Hemingway and get it over with? Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the famous writer Hemingway committed suicide. <laughs> so we are led to believe that the Wildenkill Advertiser publishes letters to the editor telling their writers to kill themselves. <laughs> this is the uh, persecution that Roger is facing for his conservative beliefs. Well, I mean, it was 1999, so maybe they did do that back then. Yeah, papers were all about this this was pre nine eleven, so things were different. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Up next we've got September eighth of nineteen ninety nine. This is the first day of classes at Vandevander. or actually, uh in the video Joseph pronounces it Van Devender, I think. Van Devender. Hmm. Yeah. It's a goofy name, so I wanna pronounce that, it goofy. That does sound better. That does sound better. Yeah, Van Devender. So, Roger has his first poetry. Uh, I think this is the last section of the book, and boy, do I have a lot of notes here. Yeah, this is the <laughs> last section, and this is like by far the the most important. <laughs> oh, boy. This is uh, Roger's, first, uh, Roger's first poetry workshop class, and this basically happens like a movie. This is the wise professor pontificating to his <laughs> students about the lost art of formal poetry. Oh, um, and I've got lots of quotes to read you about this. <laughs> but uh, before that, I'll, I'll finish uh, the summary here. Later in the day, after Roger's expository writing class, I don't know how many classes he's teaching, but we've heard of two of them so far. Um, a student with a stammer introduces himself to Roger and walks with him to the athletic building. Roger intends to buy tickets to a football game, and this is the first time he has encountered 
the school mascot, Willie Wilden, who is the Native American caricature that graces the cover of this <laughs> fine novel. <laughs> I love that he chose that. I mean, it is the name of the book, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> Not doing yourself any favors. So I'm going to get to like the more important stuff in a minute here, but uh, the aforementioned student with the stammer, his name is Andrew Florence, and he is described as a spindly young man of 19 or 20 with liquid dark eyes, feminine lips, and straight dark hair that he wore in a bowl cut like a small child. <laughs> this is Emo Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and this kid, he prefers to go by the name Forenzi Q Tanquiz, <laughs> which is his DJ persona on the college radio station. Oh, my gosh. WVDV. Uh, he has a pretty severe stammer that he uses as part of his radio act. We don't learn a, a bunch cool. of information about this kid yet, but I imagine he's going to come back later because he's played kind of a pivotal role in this last chapter introducing uh roger to the school mascot and we don't learn you know this much about somebody without them coming up later forenzi q tank quiz <laughs> uh this i feel like i'm gonna sympathize a lot with this character as yeah. a as a dj on a college radio station <laughs> all right so going back to the uh poetry workshop class uh, roger is doing some roll call learning the students' names, and he has a sort of technique for memorizing their names. And we are lucky enough to have more audio clips of Joseph reading from this section. Up first, this is from page 36. Michael Brook, the one black student, or light brown actually, raised his hand. Baloo noticed Brook, black, same as Edward Brook, the black U.S. senator. All right, we've got a little bit of... uh... (laughs) Racial sensitivity on display here. (laughs) The one black student, or light brown, actually. I mean, come on, man. We know. (laughs) We know black people aren't, you know, literally black. You don't. (laughs) Don't need to get weird about his complexion here. (laughs) But it gets far worse. I'll just move right on to the next quote here from page thirty-seven. Miss Kelly Curley had very curly hair. Easy. Got him. All right. <laughs> not not so bad yet, but uh, <laughs> I want to note that in the video, uh, Joseph skips the next sentence. He doesn't say it, but this is what it is in the book. And, he, <laughs> and yes, Baloo decided he would. Oh. Yes, about his student, Miss Kelly Curley. First off, horny count increased to 13, and... Joseph had the awareness to know that he shouldn't read that shouldn't sentence out loud. <laughs> uh, and yet here it is in the book. So uh, there's definitely some dissonance <laughs> uh, introducing itself here in the situation. Uh, moving on. He's a thing for hair, apparently. Yeah. Moving on. Here's, hair. here's the next student description. Interesting. Lee Grossbaum was far and away the prettiest girl in the class. Slender with a rosy porcelain complexion, small black eyes, long curly black hair, and thus Baloo memorized her name automatically. 
That alone is horny enough. So we're at. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely a horny. <laughs> yep, we're at fourteen now. I've been a little questionable on some of them, but that's that's definitely in the in the horny column. Yeah, I'm not being charitable. I mean, any anything <laughs> no, that comes close, I'm I'm increasing <laughs> but, the tally. But hey, we're gonna get a pretty good count at the end here. <laughs> yeah, and some of these honestly deserve more than one point. So I think I've. Oh yeah. I think I've been fair. That was pretty bad. He didn't actually say that he would, but I mean... Oh, I, oh, guess what? I'm surprised that he didn't do that on every single introduction of every single character. <laughs> would or wouldn't, yeah. Would well, or wouldn't. <laughs> well, I have some information for you. Uh, <laughs> though Joseph didn't say it at the reading, the next sentence was, he definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I thought you'd think he wouldn't need to say that, but... Yeah, so again, he had the awareness to not read it out loud at Prairie Lights, but he did include it in the book. <laughs> All right, and uh, one more student description here. The last name on the list, Sherry Zismore, belonged to a girl with an unfortunate complexion. Zismore, more zits. Ah, very clever. Yeah, I like that you can hear someone in the audience chuckling there. <laughs> Just including that for no reason whatsoever, other than you want to like make fun of people who have acne. Right, yeah, this is how Roger is remembering the name, is that the person who I mean, has zits... <laughs> has a name that kind of sounds like this. Man, gosh. Again, it's like, does he realize how much of a pig he is? I mean, obviously he does, but like, (laughs) there better be a fucking redemption arc. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wouldn't you know it, the next sentence in the book was, he wouldn't, which again, Joseph uh, redacted from his reading (laughs) at Prairie Lights. And again, redundant. <laughs> like just, just for commenting whether he would or wouldn't, I'm increasing the horny count to 15. Uh, we're going to get a break from the commenting on his female students' appearances. Did with, he comment on any of the male students? Uh, he didn't say whether he would or wouldn't. He did just sort of give a general description of most of them. <laughs> <laughs> but none that were that noteworthy. <laughs> Not, yeah, nothing that I really remember aside from the black one, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So a, a break from describing his female students' appearances. Here's a little, uh, just something that I thought was funny. If you are being critiqued, I've got one rule for you. Shut up. <laughs> uh, kind words um, from a professor. <laughs> <laughs> for being critiqued, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Does it go both ways? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing no. Um, here is uh, one... Another <laughs> description of a female student. Somebody shrieked falsetto as though she'd been stabbed. Balu looked around and determined that the sound came from a pale, thin, long-faced young woman in a loose dress, and that the sound was evidently a laugh. She blushed almost purple. The blush was as abrupt and extreme as her laugh. She put her hands over her face and looked down at her lap. Tonia Campling was her name. Long pause there while Joseph chooses not to read the next words, which were, <laughs> and he wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Horny oh, count, my goodness. Horny count 16. Good God, man. Every single female student would or wouldn't. Oh, my goodness. Uh, in fact, here's one more <laughs> for, for the pile here. Jesus Christ. We, we called this on the episode, basically, <laughs> or in the, when we talked about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean... He hasn't gotten that far yet, but shit. No, There's going to be definitely an inter- uh, inappropriate relationships with a student I, in the, in the near, very near future. Yeah, I can guarantee it. He's definitely <laughs> telegraphing that. 
as dumb and as socially retarded as I was, I didn't understand that senior girls simply did not date sophomore boys. Oh, I forgot I put that one in there. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I really just re- included that because he said the word retarded. <laughs> what was the context of that? Um, yeah, so Roger was telling the class about a poem that he wrote when he was 15. He was giving them an example of bad poetry. <laughs> and Roger was attracted to a senior girl and he was writing this poem to her about his feelings and he says you know as dumb and socially retarded as I was I didn't understand that senior girls simply did not date sophomore boys (laughs) Jesus another another example of like some self-awareness yeah like like he's saying he was socially incompetent back then yeah (laughs) like Oh, yeah, okay. I didn't have an audio clip of this one. That's why I skipped ahead. But uh, back to the describing as female students. Um, Wanda Motsky was pretty in a buxom way. A dumpling or a matzo ball. <laughs> matzo. <laughs> matzo Motsky. What the fuck? So that's sort of his mnemonic device there. Baloo quickly undressed Miss Motsky in his mind. Oh, my Jesus. Yes. Horny count 17. So he has a thing for matzo balls. <laughs> That's like the most, that's by far the most creative passage that has been, (laughs) (laughs) that has been like excerpted so far. Uh, Later in the class, Baloo joined in the laughter, although a bit resentful that he hadn't been the first to cause it. (laughs) So a college student says something funny that makes his uh, fellow students laugh, and the professor is jealous of that student. (laughs) (laughs) He just wants his students to like them, like him. Yeah, it's a little so that's in- why he tells them to shut up when, when being criticized. <laughs> a little insecure there, pal. Come on, man. You got to be nicer to people. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, this isn't that hard. <laughs> All right. So uh, the, the girl with the zits, he addresses as Miss Zizmore. And she replies, excuse me, but what is this miss? She demanded. Do you also call African-Americans colored people? (laughs) So she objects to being called Miss, I guess. Uh, And after she makes the comment about African-Americans, it says, Baloo stopped himself just short of going into a long tangent about racial nomenclature and paused an extra second to make sure he didn't do it. (laughs) Did he mention looking at the one black student? (laughs) Yeah, as soon as as soon as she says colored because, people, mean, he just jerks his head over to the one black guy yeah. in the room. <laughs> he jerks over, and and if he wasn't there, he absolutely would have said it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> also, I like his like straw man of a uh, triggered college student. Yes, exactly. That he's already <laughs> jumped to. <laughs> so she objects to being called Miss, uh, and he says, "I believe in calling people what they want to be called." So he's That's admirable. You know, agreeing to call her, address her however she prefers. And uh I wonder if uh Joseph changed his mind about this policy sometime after 2011, you know, calling people what they want to be called. <laughs> uh yeah, that'd be interesting to find out. To be fair, I've never read a Dobrian article about pronouns or anything like that, but I would uh Yeah. I would imagine he may be on the other side of that it, issue. It seems like he might be a little bit hostile to the idea mm-hmm. of, of calling someone what they want to be called. Um, here is something else Roger says on page 43. 
I believe the best relationships between student and teacher are formal in the sense of proper and reserved. I'm sure you're aware of the kind of abuses that can take place when that relationship becomes too familiar. Kind of a little bit of whiplash from that book review you just published. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, I guess he knows better than to say this stuff in public. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he he wrote it in in the paper. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, yeah, you're right. Um, another student description. This this one male, so we're getting a little bit of a different flavor here. Little Chuck Tisquantum Jr. was obviously an Indian. The roach-style crest of black hair atop his otherwise shaved head emphasized that fact. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> <laughs> so his students are either attractive ladies or men of attractive other races. Dumplings. <laughs> The only descriptions worth mentioning are females' bodies or the race of other men. <laughs> That's fucked up roach-like. Yeah, weird. The roach-style crest Like, of what does that hair. even... What is that? I don't, I don't get it, man. Yeah, the dude has a mohawk. People know oh. what a mohawk is, oh, right? Oh, okay, okay. Or like, a you know, something similar to a mohawk. But right. uh, the roach-style crest, I don't know about that. Kind of a weird uh, comparison to make. Yeah, also, he didn't specify, like, Native American or, like, Indian. Well, so, he like, he means Native American. <laughs> I, I assume so, based on the cover, <laughs> but yeah. I assume this guy will come back at some point. Yes, I have a feeling that little Chuck Tisquantum Jr. will have <laughs> an opinion on the school mascot. Hmm. Uh, he refers to, later... The beautiful or beauteous Lee Grossbaum, who was the the one that he called the prettiest girl in class earlier. <laughs> horny count, 18. Um, okay, and yeah, back to the, the horny count. Um, here's another clip about Lee Grossbaum. Baloo paused. Lee Grossbaum was looking at him as though he had written the poem himself. Baloo almost forgot to start speaking again. Okay, so Roger recited a Robert Frost poem to his class, and this this pretty girl, his student who he is obviously very attracted to, is so impressed that she's just, like, staring at him with admiration. <laughs> uh, horny count 19, and I have a feeling things are going to get unprofessional with this student at some point. <laughs> Oh man, just just a long string of his horniness for his students. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, I was telling you in the ju- uh, in the group chat earlier that I audibly said, "Oh my god," while I was reading this <laughs> section because it's just, damn, dude, come on. <laughs> yeah, that's oh man, and it really seems like that's all there is to it. Like, I mean, why would you even write? Like this is like the first classroom experience that he's even like talked about. Yeah. And it's literally like all about <laughs> his impressions of the female students. Yeah, he's just like categorizing his students hot or not. And he's <laughs> at least 20 years older than them. They're his students. He's a first-time teacher. He's never taught before. He got this job just like on a fluke cuz he happened to know the mother-in-law of the chair of the English department. This school sounds pretty shitty. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so after his classes for the day, I mentioned that he walks to the athletic building, 
Here's a couple of excerpts from that section. I'm actually not much of a football fan, Baloo admitted, but I don't know anybody here. If I buy two tickets, I'll have to invite someone to use the other. So I force myself to make some friends, see? Uh, just kind of a, <laughs> a pathetic insight into Roger's attempts at uh, forming relationships in his new town. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a quota to fill. <laughs> at least one friend to go to the football game with. <laughs> right. And this is the description of the mascot the first time he ever sees Willie Wilden. The team's logo and mascot, a cute, pot-bellied, stumpy-legged little Indian with a scalp lock and a loincloth, holding a football under his left arm and an upraised ball-head club in his right hand. His eyes squeeze (laughs) tight shut and his mouth wide open, presumably giving voice to an adorably blood-curdling war cry. (laughs) Interesting. He's a club? (laughs) That's... that's insane. (laughs) I mean, I guess there are some pretty bad mascots out there, even still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, but. you know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> but a club, that's <laughs> like, that's a little much. Yeah. If you look at the cover of the book, the club is sort of, it's sort of more like a staff with like an orb on top. It's, it looks like <laughs> a druid's staff or something, which while not a caveman club or anything, still not exactly the kind of object i would associate with a character of a native american no yeah that's it's very strange yeah so that's that's the first 54 pages of willie wilden uh i think we're off to a great start here (laughs) (laughs) uh the horny count is at 19 that's you know roughly a horny every two pages or so (laughs) hmm well, it hasn't gotten graphic yet. <laughs> no, no, not really. It's it's more. He just... hasn't talked about jerking off. He... No, he hasn't no. talked about any like sex acts, watching pornography. So, no, just just fantasizing about college students. Yeah, that are under his uh, his his education. That's true. He is kind of restraining himself. Like there was the section where uh, he was alone in his apartment and nothing at all happened like that that he mentioned he got stood up mm-hmm. at, at the bar um he was confronted by a woman he that woman he didn't really seem to have any sort of thoughts about <laughs> yeah it that's seems like a consistent thing mm-hmm. like he doesn't mention anything ever about anyone's like personality <laughs> yeah generally the the women who uh don't like him he's also not attracted to <laughs> that's a sort of correlation between those <laughs> Um, but the, the the hot women, they like him. That's one of the perks <laughs> of being able to write uh autobiographical book. <laughs> yeah, a fictional autobiographical book. But yes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. You have to make it up as you go along. Uh, something that we did talk about before was uh, predicting the number of times we would hear about pubic hair. So far, we're at zero. But we're at zero. But like yeah. I said earlier, he did mention the girl with the curly hair. And that's yeah. like the only that's physical right. description. And then he did say that he would. That's right. Yeah. We've, so it, it's coming. We've got a lot of pages I'm gonna, left. I'm going to cash it on that bet. It's, <laughs> it's totally possible that we'll get some. And you got to be as equally generous as you were with the horny count. <laughs> Dude, if, if pubes are mentioned in any way, if they're in referenced. In any context, right. Referenced even sort of abstractly, I'll definitely count that. Because I, I doubt yeah. it's going to be as common as general horniness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so any predictions for the rest of the book? 
Um, basically everything I said in that one episode <laughs> still stands. Yeah, aren't having any <laughs> that doubts about that. He was going to be huh? inappropriate relationship with a student. <laughs> yeah. Also, I do like it's like, or I don't like it because it's fucked up. But he basically admits that his only chance of like being in a relationship is like by taking advantage of his position of power over a student. Yep, I definitely think like that it's that it's is, not. Uh, I don't think that's intentional, but I think it, he's telling on himself. I. That like he can't like normal women don't like him, but college <laughs> the, the happens to be the hottest girl in the school likes him. Yeah, that that has to be some sort of foreshadowing, right? Where he says, uh, "The only, yeah, the only way a young woman will go for an older guy is if he's in a position of power." Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. that was in that was like in the first five pages. That has to be like like a foundational yeah. sort of theme of the book is. Yeah, I don't don't really like where this is going, but uh, no, no. And of course, <laughs> of course, the the book that he reviewed was about a situation just like that: a young college student in a relationship mm-hmm. with uh, an old a man forty years older than her who was teaching at the college at the time. Gosh, yeah, that's yeah, that seems like it also might be a foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah, and Roger, you know, explicitly approving of a relationship like that, or at the very least saying. It's not always wrong. <laughs> damn. Yeah, I, I have... I hope Charlotte comes back. I mean, <laughs> god damn, this is a one-tenth of the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, the there was a mention of her upcoming reading at the bookstore, which hasn't happened yet. So, oh, right, right. Yeah, I, I'd yeah. be very disappointed if we don't attend that reading with Roger. Hmm. Yeah, maybe there's a grand structure behind all of this. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. But uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like there's going to be any like revelatory moment where it all makes sense, <laughs> and where like we really understand this guy. Yeah, I think it's just sort of uh, as like more than a two dimensional. <laughs> yeah, it's just Stand sort of uh, an opportunity for the author to present some of his ideas. I think. Well, I mean, they're pretty bad so far. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> I, I don't know why you're surprised that you, no one likes you when you project this, <laughs> like project that into the world. Yeah, not a big fan of the moral positions you're putting out there with this book so far. See, um, when you first mentioned, I think the first book that I read, like the description of on his website was his most recent one, which is about his like childhood, yeah. which yeah. I think, God, that that's going to have some serious shit in it too <laughs> i think yeah it might be pretty you might want to revisit that one after this one i'm sure we'll get to it eventually um <laughs> <laughs> so for our, our patreon subscribers thank you for your contributions the uh the decision you made led to this podcast being recorded and you <laughs> buckle up because we got nine more of these planned <laughs> And, oh my god. And as we just mentioned, maybe in the future we'll read more of this author's work. Sound off in the comments if that's something <laughs> you're interested in. <laughs> I can't yeah, I don't know. <laughs> he I don't know if he's worth that much. It's pretty good so far though. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know what goal I'll set next. I think we're going to need to do something besides read one of these books for our next Patreon series. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd say so. I'm 10% in and I already feel like I'm going to need a break. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Well, Evan, uh, thank you for joining me for this. Uh, You're welcome. This discussion of pages one through fifty-four of Willie Wilden. I'm sure we'll rotate you back in at some point during <laughs> this process. But oh yeah, uh, for sure. But you broke the seal, so thanks for joining me for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And uh, I'm looking forward to find out uh, what actually transpires in this twisted universe. Yeah. <laughs> Parallel Iowa City. <laughs> Um, I don't know how long it'll take me to read the next section, but the Iowa caucus is next week, so I'll be a little bit busy this week. But uh, yeah, look forward to the next 50 pages or so. Um, I would advise any listeners to not read along with me and just wait for my <laughs> for my summaries. Um, you don't need to put yourself through this. Just let me take it on for you. But we'll see you next time. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That you maintain your sanity. I'll... And you yeah. don't get any bad ideas or influenced by problematic media <laughs> Listen, in I, negative ways. <laughs> As we all know, if you take this stuff in, it will warp your mind and you will yeah. start to believe the things that you read and it will change who you are as a person. So guard yeah. yourself against the takes. You shouldn't consume any media, basically. Yeah. If you want to remain pure, you just got to keep it all out. Just keep all the, mm-hmm. the toxic views away <laughs> from your your vulnerable soft little brain mm-hmm. <laughs> little egg yolk your your dough brain if you will your dough brain <laughs> yes all right that's a that's a good word to end on i think <laughs> yeah all right and if you're going to consume any media just make sure it's not any dough brain media that's right all right let's let's end this now <laughs> okay <laughs> good night <laughs>